Thanks for tuning in to the Beer Mighty Things podcast, your place for education and happenings for all things craft beverage. I'm your host, Kyle Reiner. I hope you obtained some value from our show because, as you know, far better it is to Beer Mighty Things. Cheers. Welcome into the Beer Mighty Things podcast. Today we are speaking with Chad Kimmel, owner of Grand Illusion Hard Cider, is a cider and wine bar in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Mr. Chad, how are you? I'm doing great. Kyle, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thanks for your time today. I know we're awesome. a little hectic, so appreciate you taking the time out. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad to uh, glad to chat with you. Love it. All right, cool. So, uh, you know, as of right now, you know, you own a uh, wine and cider bar. However, you have been a professor and still are a professor at Shippensburg University. So how long and what department? So I'm in the Department of Sociology and Anthropology, and I've been there for seven. This fall will be 17 years. Wow. So it's been a while. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been and I, I went all the way through. So my, I did my undergraduate work at Millersville University. Uh, one of the state system, uh, state school systems, and I went to IUP, which is another uh, of our state system schools for my master's and, in sociology. And then I went out to Western Michigan, uh, Kalamazoo, beer, Bell's beer out there. I fell in love Very with nice. Bell's out there, out there, uh, in at Western Michigan University in wow. sociology. So uh, you know, right out of that, then I came. I taught for a year at Teal College in Western Pennsylvania up in Greenville, kind of north yeah. of Pittsburgh. And then in 2003, I came to Shippensburg. Very cool. So I will join you in the uh, state system schools. I'm a Westchester Golden Ram. Westchester, so, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Oh, yeah. So, you know, met my wife here, and she pretty much said, you know, we're never leaving Chester County. And I said, I'm cool with that. <laughs> so I, I grew up in the Lehigh Valley for 18 years, and I've been in uh, Chester County for 18 years. Oh, that's great. That's um, great. Yeah, so... All right. So you fell in love with some Bell's beer um, and, you know, you became a, you were doing a little home brewing, you were doing some winemaking. Um, yeah. Tell me, tell me about that. So it was primarily just wine. Um, okay. And uh, so I did that in, you know, the whole typical five gallon, you know, bucket carboy stuff in college and continued that on in graduate school. Um, it was a quick way to get 40 bottles of wine, you know, kind of fill up your, uh, your, stand pretty fast and then um you know we came the back to pennsylvania and i started teaching and i i didn't touch it for a while and i think i was remembering this in 2009 um i my wife and i talked and we wanted to do something uh downtown carlisle business and i wanted and we wanted it to be related to wine so um you know, I started kind of making some wine again to kind of get back into it. And then Hack, which is the Harrisburg Area Community College, in 2010 opened an analogy program. Um, and it was like their first cohort. And that was, I just so happened to be on sabbatical. So I had like nothing to do, which is a total lie. I had this big research <laughs> project. Something to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> but no, I had an enormous research project, but I had time and it was my time, right? And I was flexible. So I contacted the program, the director, told him who I was, what I wanted to do. And he was like, come on board, you know, check it out. I took two classes that their, the very first semester was a chem class and a wine 101 class. And um, most of it was online, but there were weekend labs. 
and that I would go to, which kicked my butt. I'm horrible at chemistry. It was always, but um, I ended up doing well in the class because I needed to, I wanted to. But what I walked away with that from with was uh, I either needed to know a lot about wine or had have had like a ton of money, you know, um, literally like, you know, a million, $2 million, just, just resources. And I didn't, you know, have either of those to do well in PA, you know, my, my sense of, and I knew what I wanted to, how successful I wanted to be and how quickly I, I was being humble, but I, there was, this wasn't going to be a bootstrap or, you know, situation, you know, I, I'm married with kids, professional career. And I thought I'm not going to like slug it out for That's five years. You know, yeah. So, you know, I thought if I do my homework and, and mobilize the resources that I have um, and really am creative with the concept, I could pull, pull this off. And so I started, you know, I took that course and I came back and I was kind of a little disenchanted. I thought, oh man, you know, I'm, this is not as, as straightforward as I, I thought it would, might be. But I kept at it, kept reading. I knew I, it wasn't going to be me making wine. So I really, I started um, exploring those virtual brands, uh, virtual wineries. Um, and there's a lot of kind of coming out at the time about it. And I still saw something the other day about virtual uh, uh, wineries or virtual brands. And that's essentially you get someone else to make it and you just, you just concentrate on marketing and the brand and the packaging and all that stuff. So I read a lot about that. I was talking with people, trying to find... Um, what was it called? That's I haven't thought about in a while, but you know, wineries to make your make your product. Yeah, like a, um, like a contract wine. Well, yeah, contract wine. Yeah, but there was called something else. I thought, but anyway. Um, so I I just kept reading and listening and and so forth. And it was like I think it was about 2012 um, by that time, and then uh, Angry Orchard blew up and was was kind of getting everywhere and it was getting loud and then you hear this hard cider hard cider so i and i didn't know much about hard cider so i started you know reading that and and uh our penn state extension network organization here um which is an agricultural piece down in biglerville they started having workshops for uh, orchardists on hey you know here's a market for your apples that you can't sell you know um, come to our workshops and hear people talk about this new market, hard cider. So I started going to the workshops and I went to everyone. Starting in 2015, they started. I went to everything, everything they had. I drove. It was a, it was in the Finger Lakes. I went and um, they started getting better and better and better. And I was getting involved in the sense that you know, after the event, everyone would run to their cars. And I thought, where's the networking? They're like, I got questions. Like, I want to talk to people. <laughs> so I started contacting the people, the director of the program, and said, hey, how about some networking? So wouldn't you know it, the next session, 15, 20-minute networking session, you know, that type mm-hmm. of thing. And cards, people talking. And that's really where, you know, the rubber meets the road in terms of where you learn. Because someone's ahead of you, whether it be four months, six months, um, and I started to get to a point where some people were behind me, you know, in the sense of they're wanting to do what I wanted to do. And now they're trying to kind of, um, so it, it came to the point where I was like, it's not wine, it's cider. And here are the resources. And now it's time to spend learning about the structure, how to position yourself, the brand, 
what's this going to look like? Am I doing the New England 750 milliliter champagne style or am I, right. you know, in terms of Finger Lake or am I doing kind of like West Coast, Oregon beer packaging marketing piece? Mm. And, and I went West Coast in terms, I just, for, for a variety of reasons. I mean, Finger Lakes are making amazing ciders. Um, and a lot of people are. Around me in Pennsylvania, they're making amazing ciders. But that's not where I wanted to be in, in terms of a business, in terms of how I wanted to position the business. Um, I knew where the market was. I knew where people's frustrations were. Um, I wasn't a purist. I'm not an orchardist. You know, I don't. Yeah. I didn't grow up on a farm. I'm from Levittown, Pennsylvania, a suburb. You know, I grew up in the 80s on a, on a, on a mag, on bike with mag wheels and jumping ramps and, you know, um, you know that type of suburban 80s kid, but um, so I, I wanted to create a business and wrap a brand around it and and run with it as hard as I could, and that's that's essentially what I did with Grand Grand Illusion. We opened in February of 2018, um, started construction on the building I think in October of 2017, and you know we've been open ever since. Closed now for a little while yeah. uh, with the the uh, the epidemic or the pandemic but we're doing delivery and i can talk about delivery and and so forth here but um so that's that's kind of been the storyline in terms of the evolution of the project um yeah so it's a lot a lot learned in that space yeah and enology for those who don't know is the study of wine correct Mm -hmm. yeah and that that's the newer term to me um but there's a lot of similarities between, you know, making wine, making cider. I mean, when we look at oh, yeah. you know, your TTB bond, you're actually a winery. Yeah, we're a Pennsylvania licensed winery. Um, yeah, I'm surprised, and I shouldn't be, but I'm surprised a lot of people don't really understand um, cider making. And they're, they talk about brewing, you know, um, and it's it's unlike beer in many ways. The only thing like beer is that you know, yeast eat sugar. I mean, that's essentially the only similarity. Um, it's, it's wine. It's essentially we're, we're making, um, sparkling uh, wine. A, a sparkling lower alcohol carbonated wine. You Can know, you tell me about that process? Say like, you know, how it differs maybe from wine, you know, apple to glass, how it differs from beer. What's that process? Yeah. And so, um, and I'll kind of give some more information how in terms of, regarding our model, our specific model, which is unique. Um, but yeah, so, you know, apples are, are collected and um, they're uh, pressed and uh, that juice is pure, you know, pure juice is then um, collected and, and put into a, a tank with regardless of how size, what size you are. And, and you then, um, you can wait until, you know, you get a, a better temperature um but you inoculate with with yeast you know you can kind of add some nutrients and depending on who you are and where you are in terms of the uh, use of chemicals and so forth um uh, but you can uh, put a, a commercial yeast or you can kind of run it a natural fermentation with the the yeast cells that are on the skins of the apple and often many people do and results in can result in in great uh, cider, and, but that's a little more of a gamble. Obviously, you're, you're dealing with everything, but like wine, like cider, everything's run into run into vinegar. I mean, that's the goal of the of the natural process. So you're just stopping it from getting to to vinegar. So, um, 
you can control it more with the, the natural yeasts. And how, uh, how close is that line between vinegar and a good product? Well, the, that's the sticky sit, the, the definition of what is good, right? And so you can have a lot of, uh, like Cedra, Spanish uh, ciders, is, is very much strong taste of vinegar. Um, and But that's prized, right? And so you can have a lot of, um, you know, I've tasted a lot of ciders, uh, even here in PA, but certainly up in the Finger Lakes. Um, and there's that hint of the acidic uh, taste, which is, um, you know, respected. Um, and it, some welcome that flavor, some don't, and that's why there's different styles. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in many cases, some might see it as a, as a flaw. Um, and in other countries, certainly in the UK, it's not, right? It's something that's uh, respected and, and, and welcomed as a flavor profile. Um, yeah. And so, um, you know, yeast eat sugar, yeast eat the sugar in the pure uh, fruit juice of apple. Um, and uh, you can kind of, um, you know, drop out and, and uh, rack to uh, a new tank, perhaps. Um, at that point, you could let it run dry. Um, many people do. It's kind of... Um, Again, a, a flavor profile, a, a taste that some people have. How long is that process from uh, you know pressing an apple to getting into my glass? The quickest is like two weeks, but that is that's the beer style, um, the true purest you know cider making style. Um, you're going to you're going to want to maybe um, sit on it for a while to age, perhaps um, you know a month, two months. Um, some people do it the you know a bit longer than that. But if they're making cider like beer in terms of meeting market demands, you can't just harvest, press, package what you got, and then like typical wine, and then just wait for the next vintage, right? I mean, you can do that, That's but that's a different model. Yeah. Um, so from from basically from, from tr- tree to glass, um, you, you could be there in two weeks. You could be there in two weeks. Is there a best apple? Is there a common apple? No, no, not really. Again, it depends. You know, the cider we're making, you don't want to use uh, the best cider apples in terms of the apples that you, you know, can't physically eat because of their their bitterness. Um, you know, they make great cider. And so other people might um, use those cider apples um, or even blend them with what, what we primarily use are the dessert apples. These are apples that you can buy, you know, at the grocery store. Um, we primarily use probably the seconds and thirds. There's stuff that are visibly not as beautiful and can't be kind of, would not be as attractive on the store shelf. Right. Um, but they're your, you know, your, your cheaper apples. Um, there's a lot of them out there. Um, one apple that you try not to use is red delicious because of the pH levels. It messes, it messes it up a bit, but, uh, any apple can be used. Mm. Um, you use, you begin to look at apples that provide different flavor profiles when you want to start accentuating those elements in your cider. Um, but if you looked at the ciders that we make, again, you know, we're doing, it's all pure, pure apple, but the dessert apple in and of itself doesn't make an awesome cider. And so what we, it's great, it's good, but what we do is we add fruit. So we'll do blueberry lavender, right? Or we'll hop it and we'll put pineapple. 
Um, no, the purists are all over you and saying, you know, you're just desecrating a beautiful thing. And how could you, why would you uh, think like that? Um, but I'm on the other side, you know, the fence. And, and, and I, while I respect all of that, my, my goal is to, is to put out a, a flavorful, full-fruited product, um, but give something, you know, a, a profile that people are, are Yeah, are you're going to have different people walking into your door. It's not the same person. You know, that's why you need to have different products. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and on our, you know, we have 15 cider taps. Six of them are ours. Others are other Pennsylvania cider makers that range the gamut. And so we'll have, you know, your really great, um, more purist style uh, ciders. We'll have a dry, perhaps even. Um, so there's a variation in terms of sweetness, but also in terms of apple usage, cider production techniques, and stuff like that. And so we have a lot of great cider makers in Pennsylvania who are doing a variety of things. There's some very much like us. Others are are very much like a, a UK producer or a Finger Lake kind of producer. Others, you know, try to create a hybrid of those sorts too. So there's a lot that yeah. goes on in the process. Does any of this, you know, being a professor, has, how has that helped you with the business? Do you find that there's been some benefits there? Yeah, so that model role for me um, has helped me with the culture of the business. Has um, helped me with presenting the business model to others, the, the developing and talking about the brand to other people. Um, so that becomes the what you know if you're thinking about what experience then am I drawing upon? It's the stage. You know, in terms of the classroom, is just you're an actor. You're you're in the classroom. You're a teacher, yep. but you're you're an actor. You know, you're you're presenting material because you have to pitch it in a way that engages you know the kids. Um, you can't just read from a book. I mean, they're going to run. They're not going to want to come to your class, right? So you have to make it creative. You have to engage it. It's not like I'm doing dances up front, but you know, you learn when to pitch when to, in terms of your voice and um, and all of that and engage and convince people you know what you're talking about so and so i draw upon those techniques when i'm speaking with employees um you know um talking about my business to the chamber of commerce or going to banks in the early days of you know trying to get money for uh, loans you know for for the startup um so i've definitely leaned on those experiences uh and yeah to to do those types of things um so that's been the, the largest, the culture, you know, knowing and how to do homework, you know, sure. um, it comes down to as a business person, you know, the product is, is a, a, just a little portion of what you do. I mean, especially with, with this, if you begin serving food, you're a restaurant and if you're a restaurant, well, you got, there's a lot of moving parts and, you know, if there's a front of house, if there's a guest experience, well, you know, if you just think hiring some people and putting a t-shirt on them is going to sell your product you're not going to be in business very long today you know and so a lot of homework into knowing how to do great hospitality and how to create a culture where people stay so you're not wasting resources retraining and your the importance of cross training i mean so so there's a lot a lot in in this uh, business that has nothing to do with cider, you know, nothing to do with cider. Um, so I knew that going into it. And so, you know, coming back to the, your original question, what is it about your experiences that kind of set you up maybe for success or just set you up for the business? Well, it's knowing 
how to do homework and where to look and how much of it to do until I feel I'm comfortable implementing something. Um, so there's a lot there that uh, you just constantly have to have in front of you. Very cool. And you mentioned that you have a unique business model. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. So the, I think a lot of your guests will find it uh, unique and surprising in that I've I have to be careful not say never. I've probably made 50 gallons of Grand Illusion cider myself, which isn't a lot. Um, the rest of it, I'm, we make through a contracting uh, relationship with a larger cidery about an hour away. Um, and so many of your guests might wonder, like, why? Like, what's the deal? So when we opened, I was blown out of the water, right? I mean, I created this, this building, this experience, and everyone came, and it was wonderful and awesome. And I had a 10-barrel system set up out back, you know, a $4,000 beautiful brand-new pump, and I had floor drains and all this stuff. But I never had the time to make make cider, and I, I knew it going into it. I, I was going to open without our own and, and kind of get one eventually. But I began thinking of my own timeline, and I have a family with small kids, and I knew my own limitations. And I thought I'm not going to be able to, to do this successfully. Like, and and I began to kind of ask around, and I knew a bit about contracting right from my early thoughts about the virtual brand. And it was at the time when finally this one cider was like, you know, the owner isn't down for it. Like he, I had been knocking on the door earlier and finally he was like, you know, I think they're ready to do this. So I started with our first run of Blue Illusion and cans only, or no, on kegs and cans. And it worked great. It was very seamless. Um, not a lot of paperwork and it was legal. And I thought, you know, again, my model's not like I need to own a $2 million facility. I need to kind of like have multiple people in charge and tanks and hoses. Like if that came to be cool, that's great. But it, it was, it was about the brand and the experience that I could provide people. So we started that way, but still the intention was to do it myself when, when we got some time. And so we started growing our, our lines. I think we got up to four and I thought, well, let, let me try to, do some myself here. And I started to look at the space that I provided and my kitchen was asking for it. You know, my kitchen was like, Hey, we need more space in here. I'm like, okay. And they're like, what's behind that wall? I'm like, well, that's the cidery. He goes, but you haven't made any cider. I'm like, that's absolutely true. He's like, how about we go in there? So he came back one day and I, 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 with the help of my brother-in-law, we cut a hole in the wall. And now, you know, what I, gave for space for cider is now in the kitchen and we need it. Um, so at that point I realized, okay, well, it's not going to happen here. Um, and then I started kicking the boots at a production facility and ran numbers and talked to people and thank God given the situation now that I didn't do it. Wow. That was a good choice, but I was really going for it. And, uh, I just thought and talked with people and talking with people is, is, and I've heard it in my own research and, and listening and writings. Um, you just learn so much from what people, little bits of advice and so forth. And it might even be a sentence from somebody that just does it for you or helps you in a way that fills a gap. And what I heard from people was like, hey, man, like once you jump, it's about scale. Like if you need and, and you can't, these tanks can't sit empty, you know, you need to get as much money from them as you can. And, and, in many ways, like I didn't want to own a factory. Like I didn't want to, to own, I want to own a cider brand. And, and uh, I thought to myself, 
I can, I can pay these people to be my, you know, factory when I need them. And, um, and, and it just worked out that way. So we're up to six varieties of, of cider and the relationship has been, has been wonderful. Um, I'm sure in some ways I, there's some flack maybe because, uh, you know, they don't make it themselves type of purist philosophy. Um, but that's cool, man. Like this works for me. It's a model, right? I mean, there's all kinds of models out there. Um, and in many ways, guess what? Like pandemic hit, I don't have a factory, you know, I have a storage facility that's packed up, locked up in the storage and the site are safe. And I, I'm drawing from it and I'm able to sell it. And if something really bad happened, yeah. you know, I could sell the whole thing at cost. I get, I could tr- just drop everything out the front door and walk away from, from that side of things. So it's a less, less risky, uh, you know, wow. arm of the business. Yeah. Um, and I believe it's one that I'm, I'm going to st- stay with, you know, I think I'm just going to stay with that. Uh, especially like given the situation it is yeah i mean that's and that's what someone told me it was a brewery up in um massachusetts i'm forgetting midnight brewing midnight uh night shift night shift and uh they had they created their own tasting room they then they created you know first they were you know brewery wholesale model and then they jumped into retail and then they actually were discussed with the whole relationship with distributors and they created their own separate distributing yep. service and um he said it's his he's like it's three separate full-time businesses and there's three owners so he said each of them take it take one um because i was asking him what do you think i should do i'm thinking of doing this and he was like you know what do what you're good at he's like if you're good at this if this works for you run with it run with it as far and as long as you can until you think until you think it's not working as well anymore and if you think that next jump will help that's what I did. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that statement there. You said, you know, focus on what you're good at. Um, you know, so many times, you know, there's a there's a quote out there. It might even be from like Alice in Wonderland. But it says that if you chase two rabbits, they're both going to get away. So if you focus <laughs> on if you focus on that one rabbit, you're sure to get it. So, you know, yeah. what you're good at and do one thing well, you know, find your niche and, and, and do that. Right. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. So what is it about magic and illusion that made you really want to name your company after that? Well, again, you know, it's the brand. And so um, I forget what drew me into it. I, at some point down the line, like the turn of the century magic poster. So prior to, you know, movies, the, the great entertainment experiences of the day were it's like the circus and it was magic that shows. Yeah, colorful um, pictures and, you know, yeah. The posters, so they would come in. So the posters would precede, right? The as marketing blitz would precede the show, and they would come around. They'd put them up everywhere, and they were, you know, beautiful, very large um, illustrations of, you know, magic and magicians and the names Blackstone or Houdini, you know, or whatever. And they'd come in, um, and it was it was a huge thing. Well, I was captivated by the colors and the imagery of those posters. And just the, the style of art involved in that. So I was inspired by it and wanted to, in many ways, um, create a brand around that, it's a cider brand. So um, it obviously influenced the name. Um, I started with just Illusion. I think I was going to call it Illusion Cider. And the attorney at the time ran it and he said, it would work. It's fine. He's like, but you need to make it stronger. I would encourage a stronger name. Can you add, you know, a name to it? And I went back down my names and I had all these other names and I started looking at 
combinations and then grand was was there and i just thought grand illusion now i knew nothing of the sticks album <laughs> i was which, just gonna ask you that no i mean i like sticks new sticks a little i guess not much given my uh un, you know not knowing about this album um but it was well, i didn't do it at all because of sticks um because i didn't know they had an album called grand illusion it ended up being you know an awesome album i've listened to it since then 1977 chicago yep is that it so yeah so uh, you know, I kind of came up with the name and then the owl was the image. I wanted something um, to, to draw people's attention to kind of en- engage some, someone with. And the owl was always like in those posters. You know, it's a mythical, you know, wisdom, dark, you know, that type of thing. And the owl was always there. And I thought, well, how about an owl? And so I, um, through a series of uh, proposals, narrowed and drilled down into a company that was going to do this work for me and i told them i wanted an owl you know old owl and they came up with a couple of versions and that was the one i chose um you know i had the clouds and the owl um and uh you know grand illusion and it was i think the the font is very much like a um what's that called like art deco type of type yeah. of thing so there were a couple influences that we tried to kind of get in there that was so the magic is many ways was was for the brand um you know it would influence our name it, it, we could kind of create uh color schemes around that were used in those posters in our place of business so our place purples are our color right well it's actually called expressive plum if you okay. go to lowe's it's the hgtv uh sherwin williams matchup it's called expressive plum so that's our purple so we painted everything the walls are a gray and everything else is that purple ceiling trim everything um there's a and but you know again it's all about engaging the consumer the guest so uh i created a hidden bathroom so we we have a bookshelf on the second floor that's actually a, it's called a murphy murphy door right so it's a, a bookshelf and you just stand there oh there's a beautiful bookshelf but then it opens up and that's the second floor bathroom it's right behind the bookshelf that's so cool um and we have a house magician, uh, so we do table magic on Monday nights from six to eight. Um, so, and you know, a lot of events maybe uh, fall into that theme of, of magic. Um, it becomes the names of our ciders: um, Blue Illusion, Street Magic, Peach Presto, um, Spellbound, stuff like that. Become come names that you could use. So, um, you know, it's an experience that people can kind of attach with and, and kind of be a part of, but it's also, um, you know, uh, 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 enables that kind of the branding mechanism to work. Yeah. What's, what's that vibe when I walk into your restaurant and the food, the drinks, the music? Um, I think I've, and it's interesting what I want it to be and what people perceive it to be are sometimes a little different. They're not too far away, but, um, I saw someone say something, it's like a mix of kind of, uh, like posh industrial, um uh eccentric whimsical um historic you know like so we have a it's an old 1840s building downtown carlisle so we've uh, revealed the rafters on the first floor in the one area and then the wall a brick wall on the side um but it's the original staircase so you're walking into a very very pretty ornate thick trimmed building right um with some cool chandeliers and, and cool lighting, a big, beautiful uh, fireplace on the right, not original to the building, but it was brought in 
in the nineties, but it's from eight, 1890s, this thing, it's this cherry. Oh my gosh. Like 12 foot tall mirror, uh, mantle. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just kind of situates. I mean, that was one thing from the whole building that I kept. I told the construction guys, I'm like, do not move it. Do not break it. So they built like a wall around it, uh, during construction and, and was able to save it. Um, so yeah, it has a, it's a cool kind of, uh, vibe. Um, it's, you know, industrial in the sense that there's some gray and there's metal chairs, um, but it's soft in the sense that there's gray and purples. Um, and, uh, you know, the lighting, um, I created top hats over the main bar and there are the, there are the lights inside. It's a halogen light in each, in each top hat. So that's kind of cool. What a great um, theme. What a great, what great branding. And then, um, yeah. can we talk a little bit about, uh, your potential upcoming, uh, item that you've been approved for? Yeah. So, um, an escape room on our third floor. So our building's three stories tall. We're using the first and second, you know, for our restaurant, uh, tap room. We have a smaller bar on the second floor, but the third floor always sat empty. I mean, we had our office up there, um, but there's like a big room. There was a kitchen and bathroom. It was a uh, 70 in the, it was a law office for many years since the 1970s. So, um, it was done up, but not much had changed probably since like the eighties. Um, so I saw a lot of wasted space and I thought, oh, well, I'll just make more seating, right? I'll bring the servers upstairs and, and we'll just make the place bigger. And, uh, over time, again, you know, talking with people, uh, staff, they, we realized that would put a, a big strain on the kitchen because how our, what model in terms of kitchen we run with is small. And also this, it's a lot for the servers to walk up those steps with flights, you know, with all these, the tasters. Yeah, for so sure. even to get to the second floor is tough. And, the, and they looked at me and they said, you want us to go to the third? And I was like, that's probably not the best idea. And they was like, no, you know, we don't, we wouldn't want to do that at all. And so I sat on it for a while and um, I think I, we have some murder mystery, a theatrical group that comes in uh, monthly. And I, I picked the director's brain one time and I said, uh, what do you know about escape rooms? And he was like, oh, I know someone who, who does them. I'm like, cool. I'm like, you know, give me their name and number. And, and we kind of connected and had her look at the space and she came down and, and wrote up a little proposal and said, this is a no brainer. She's, you know, it's up to you, but for this amount of money, this is what you could potentially bring in. And so I ran numbers and I thought, oh my gosh, like this is a great way to use unused space in the building that I'm paying for. Um, so it, the more I thought about it, it also fits your theme. That's it's yeah, totally. It was a perfect match. Yes. It's uh, you know, it, it, I mean, I could sit and talk about it for another hour about how great it is. But if you think about the business of escape rooms and they're cool experiences, but many of them have like, you know, two, three, maybe four rooms, but it's a standalone business. People generally, they're not normally located in areas where people have a lot of walk by traffic. You go out to seek this place. Once you're there, you can do the room. Maybe you'll come back to do, you know, the next one, but that building you're paying staff, you're paying insurance, right? You're paying utilities, you're paying all this POS system, you're paying the, on, the online booking software, you're paying the electric, um, water, bathrooms, and sewer. So all this stuff has to be supported by these three rooms in a typical thing. 
uh, escape room. So here I was like, well, I only have basically two rooms, but I'm going to act that they're going to be together. It'll be one game. But I already have a staff. I already have electric. I have Wi-Fi. I have all the insurances, too many, in terms of your workers' comp and liability and um, all, you know, all that stuff. And, and I have utilities are paid for. What else do I add? But the game itself, right? And you know, beautify the space and add an online booking system. But we can use that for our own events, thankfully, now in a way that would work perfectly. Um, and uh, it just kind of blend, went well together. And then I found some local money in town, uh, in our county. It was a tourism grant. And, uh, you know, anything that brings people in, they'd like. Uh, and I did the research and escape rooms draw people in. Um, and so I, you know, ran the numbers and did, did a lot of research on what's around me and where, what the competition was. And it just made sense. And so we got the award. Um and uh, construction already started. Uh, they're actually coming back May 1 now. They had to jump out for this uh, issue, but May yep. 1, they're back. And yeah, they're at it. So we, you know, it was a matching grant, which is nice. And so we're getting the third floor in many ways renovated for a game, new bathroom, flooring throughout, lighting, walls, paper, all that jazz. And it'll just be a place for people to what? Extend the experience, right? So they come. Oh wow, we can do this game and then stay, right? For drink and food, or they come for drink and food and then learn you have what on the third floor? Wow, look, we can stay for another hour. Let's do that now. Online booking, get out your phone, you know, sign right up, or come back, you know, in an hour when there's a, a spot open for you. So it's all about then uh, experiential economy and and extending the the experience for for people to have them come back or to stay longer, spend more money. Love it. I think if, if it's, if it's imperfectly, I'm really excited to see what you guys do with it. And uh, I'm excited for the success of it. It will be successful. Um, it all just, it all just matches up well together. Um, you know, I grew up, you know, I liked Houdini. I was in the magic and uh, oh, cool. Just, yeah, it was, uh, it's just neat to see what you've done. And, you know, it's one thing to throw up an owl or some letters, but to create a whole brand and a vision and an experience on um, that, that's really neat. Yeah. It's, it's been, uh, definitely a learning experience um, and has its had its challenges certainly. And uh, even throughout the, the current crisis and, and how to, you know, triage your business and where to fill gaps and what you need to unplug. And so that's been a, a great and terrible learning, learning experience at the same time. Sure. Where can, uh, where can we find your products now? Can we order Are you doing takeout food? We, yeah, so we uh, are doing delivery and takeout um, around probably 10 to 15 minutes outside of downtown Carlisle. We'll, we'll, we'll deliver cider to you. Um, six packs and any quantity you want. You want an entire pallet? Well, you know, give us some notice. We'll, we'll get it out to you. Uh, but we're also in many distributors in, in our area. Um, uh, we're in a number of six or seven giants uh, in throughout our area, down in Chambersburg, Harrisburg, and we're in Wegmans, uh, in the closest Wegmans to us on the Carlisle Pike in Mechanicsburg. But so we're we're growing our wholesale footprint, um, and uh, I'm doing a lot of that work now because we had to um, cut some labor on the wholesale side. Um, but I still have a driver and 
uh, accounts are growing. You know, I, I kind of hit the phones in, in that salesperson way that I never wanted to be a, a true salesperson. I'm getting better. I'm, I'm not totally comfortable with the sales stuff uh, as some other people might be. But yeah, so we're, we're out there. We're into Lancaster, uh, trying to get into York, Pennsylvania in the distributors. We're really hitting the distributors now because in this climate, all the restaurants are closed, right? And so is our time to really hit. And the, and the distributors are on fire. I mean, they're, they're selling like yeah. crazy. Um, so it's a great time to hit the distributors, get them the cider, get a space on the shelf. And then when maybe when things reopen, um, can start knocking on some other doors. Love it. And what do we do? Do we go online? Do we call? Do we order on your website? Yeah. So if you're, you know, within 10, 15 minutes away uh, from delivery, you can certainly uh, go to our website, um, grandillusioncider.com. And there's a big kind of button on the front and that uh, on the front, you just click and you, during our delivery times, um, you can pick, uh, you can pick up curbside and our staff will come out with it or you, you can kind of do the delivery side and, and we'll have it to your front door in uh, you know, 30 minutes type of thing. Um, but yeah, so it's always a, a way of finding a way to say yes to people. So if people want it, um, and even if they live outside that area and don't have access to any of our accounts, um, we can always try to find a way to, to get something out to them. Very cool. Well, Chad, I appreciate your time. What I will end with here is, uh, you know, the owl represents the deep concentration of wisdom and good judgment, knowledge. Uh, I feel as though you also possess that insight and intuition. You have a sharp vision and keen observation. Uh, so I think that, you know, that owl and your branding shines through you as a testament to your leadership. So, you know, kudos to you for being, you know, a student of the game, understanding your limitations yeah. and, and using those to your advantage and really, you know, creating that grand experience for your patron. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Kyle. That's very uh, insight, insightful of yourself to, to look into that. Um, yeah, you know, as you can do is try as hard as you can and, and listen to people. Um, and so uh, we really try hard to give guests what they want um, and to treat them well and to make them feel special. So uh, even having private events just for them, you know, like uh, special invitation type things have gone a long way just in terms of examples of how to build loyalty. Yeah. Um, it, uh, it really helps that people feel it, that they your place is a part of them or that they it's top of mind that they are like, you know, they'll just, they feel comfortable and, and it makes them like, they, they like to bring people there. So it's, that's the, that's my goal, you know, constantly trying to achieve that. Very good. Well done. Well, I appreciate your time today, Chad. You're very welcome, Kyle. Thanks, man. Very welcome. I want to hear more when that escape room opens. I will. Yeah. Probably sometime this summer. Okay. We're delayed here a bit because of our uh, situation. So maybe like a June, July. Cool. I'll have to have you back and uh, we'll talk about it. Totally. Awesome. All right. Thank you, Chad. All right, that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. I hope you find this valuable. Please follow on Spotify or subscribe on Apple. And while you're at Apple, please go ahead and give us a five-star rating. It helps us get noticed among the craft beverage community there. Thank you. Cheers and beer. Mighty things.